I'd also like to just pray for Ukraine and just the whole situation over there. Um, we just, it's just, um, it's horrible. Um, and just seeing so many innocent lives and so many innocent people involved in this. And I thought what I would do is sort of give us a context, is play something for you. Um, this is from a pastor um, in Ukraine. Um, this was, he wrote this about um, a few days ago. So, I mean, obviously things are escalating a lot there right now. But I just thought it'd be good to listen to his, from his perspective, Christian pastor there in Ukraine. Um, this is actually, I don't think it's him talking here. I don't know, but it's, um, it's, it was an article that he wrote about the situation there. And this is the audio of it. So I thought I would just play it and just have us give sort of a perspective of what's going over there from a Christian pastor. So let's see if this will work here. It's about five minutes, so. In recent days, the events from the Book of Esther have become real to us in Ukraine. It's as if the decree is signed, and Haman has the license to destroy an entire nation. The gallows are ready. Ukraine is simply waiting. Can you imagine the mood in a society when gradually, day after day for months, the world's media has been saying that war is inevitable? That much blood will be shed. In recent weeks, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine. Western nations evacuated the embassy and citizens. Traffic in the capital of Kiev is disappearing. Where did the people go? Oligarchs, businessmen, and those who can afford it are leaving, saving their families from potential war. Should we do the same? My wife and I have decided to remain in our city near Kiev. We want to serve the people here along with Open Bible Church where I joined the pastoral team in 2016. In anticipation of coming disaster, we've bought a supply of food, medicine, and fuel so that, if necessary, we'll be able to help those in need rather than burden them. Ours is a family of six. We're raising four daughters. What I worry about the most is my 16-year-old who travels to college every day for an hour and a half, one way, by public transportation. The media warns that if Russia invades, mobile communications will be lost and public transit will likely collapse. Thankfully, her classes have now gone online. Since the border with Belarus is only 150 kilometers, 92 miles, from Kiev, one of the possible options for an enemy attack is through Belarus. The local media is recommending that we pack an emergency suitcase. I told my children, pack your backpacks. Pack enough things for three days. In the past, such packing meant we were going on vacation or a fun trip. So, our younger children, six and eight years old, have been asking, Dad, where are we going? At first, I didn't know what to answer. I told them we're not going anywhere. How should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war? When there is constant fear in society? I'm convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. While the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. As a country, we went through this already in 2014. In those days, many churches actively supported those who rebelled against the corrupt and authoritarian regime of Viktor Yanukovych. There was a prayer tent in Independence Square. Christians distributed warm meals and hot tea. Churches opened their doors as a shelter for protesters persecuted by security forces. Meanwhile, there were churches that openly supported the dictator's regime and criticized the protesters. Other churches tried to ignore the elephant in the room. 
they kept silent about the problem and lived as if nothing was happening. In the end, churches that distanced themselves from social issues and those that supported the corrupt rulers have suffered reputational losses among the population of Ukraine. Conversely, churches that have been with people during testing times have received the highest trust from society. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. As tensions have risen, our church announced a week of fasting and prayer, gathering every night to bring our requests to God. For three days in a row, the lights were turned off in the city. We were forced to meet in the dark, adding a solemn atmosphere to our prayers for peace. If the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. At the end of the week, those moments produced in us an inner strength to persevere. Through communal prayers we've gained confidence and peace. We believe God is with us and that is the most important thing. During this critical moment, our church, which has about 1,000 people attending on a normal Sunday, is also a place of service. We've recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning how to apply a tourniquet, stop bleeding, apply bandages, and manage airways. These lay people aren't going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbors if necessary. In fact, when I first announced the first aid training, one brother told me, now I know why I need to stay in Ukraine. He had planned to leave. He knew he was not a soldier. He wasn't able to take up arms and fight. But he now wants to stay, to help the wounded, and to save lives. We have decided to stay, both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. If necessary, the church premises can be turned into a shelter. We have a good basement. We're ready to deploy a heating station, as well as provide a place for a military hospital. To make this a reality, we're creating response teams. If martial law is declared, they are ready with a strategic supply of fuel, food, and material for dressing wounds. We've even gathered information on who in the church are doctors, mechanics, plumbers, even who as wells in case of a water shortage. We have decided to stay, both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. While we may feel helpless in the face of such a crisis, we can pray like Esther. Ukraine is not God's covenant people, but like Israel, our hope is that the Lord will remove the danger as he did for his ancient people. And as we stay, we pray the church in Ukraine will faithfully trust the Lord and serve our neighbors. There you go. Amen. His name is Vassal Ostray. I probably am not saying that right at all. <laughs> you know, I don't speak Ukraine, but... Um, you know, I was thinking he was, he's using the illustration there of Hester. Um, and I was thinking, you know, one of my, one of the stories, one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible is Second, Second Chronicles 20. Um, I don't know if you guys have read that story, but it's where Jehoshaphat, you got Judah that we've been talking about. And Jehoshaphat, um, which is, ends up being a pretty good king, uh, he ends up having where, I mean, Judah's small. Remember that from Isaiah, right? So he ends up also, all the nations around surround him and are ready to come against him. In fact, it's like overwhelming. There's no way, I mean, no way they can possibly win. And so God 
um, Jehoshaphat cries out to God on behalf of the people, saying, oh God, you know, help us. And then um, the, the priest gets a message from, through the Spirit of the Lord, and this is what the priest says to Jehoshaphat and to all the people, and he says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see that the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So all these people, women and children, and everybody went out up to this place mm. and looked down upon all this vast army of all these nations that have been coming, were going to come against them. And he says, now I want you to do this. So he says, I want you to all sing out loud and praise God and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So the whole, all the people, all the women, all the children, all the men kept saying over and over again, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And God took the enemy and turned the enemy against itself. Mm-hmm and destroyed the enemy, and they did not have to do a thing because the Lord fought for them. Um, and I just pray that for Ukraine, for all these people. Yes. Even thinking about, oh, yeah. honestly, you know, it's just hard because, you know, even, I, even thinking about the Russians who are having to come in where I hear a lot of them don't even want to be there. No. And they're just pawns of this. Um, just for them to, <laughs> as a Ukrainian say, turn around and go home. Don't fight this battle. Just let God win this battle. Um, so, just want to pray for them. So, Lord, we we lift up first of all Travis um, that you will continue to heal his shoulder. We lift up Bruce, Lord, that you would take this blood clot and literally just wipe it out, annihilate this clot inside of him, Lord. Bring all of his swelling back down to normal. And Lord, we do, we just cry out to you tonight for all those who are innocent. As we've been reading in Isaiah, Lord, it is those who can't fight for themselves, the women, the children, even the men, Lord, we just pray for your protection over them. We pray that you will end this war. We pray for their protection, Lord, that you'll be with them. May your power be known through this. May your salvation be known through this. May your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be made known through this. Be with him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Alright. Um, one, um, one discussion before we get started I wanted to have. Tom and I were talking and it sort of reminded me again um, and you don't have to. We don't have to have a long discussion about this. Not even necessary discussion. But I want you guys to think about. You know, now that things are, you know, getting all back to normal with things. You know, we used to, as as a men's group, we used to have like a every couple months. We used to have a Saturday where we would have everybody come for breakfast. All right, and we haven't done that for. <laughs> it's been quite a while, for a couple of years. And I'm wondering if you guys have any thoughts as to. I, I guess there's that. 
there's also there's other things you think we should do as men other than just Tuesday night. I mean, obviously our focus here is on the Word. We don't spend a lot of time doing other things, no. socializing. Even. We have some socializing going on, but not a whole lot. But if you guys have thoughts as to what we could do um, more, um, I might call on someone to help with that if you want to volunteer with that. But um, just any thoughts you guys have as to what do we want to do more for the guys of the church? Um, I'll just throw that out right now if you guys have any thoughts right now of anything you thought that might be neat to do. Um, I know I keep saying to him that I'm going to go paddleboarding with him someday. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done it yet. Um, But just any thoughts. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Do you think the Saturday breakfast would be something good to start up again? Absolutely. Definitely. I think All right. So. Okay. That was good. All right. Yeah. Everybody loves bacon. I, <laughs> we used to go to the White House, and they're not there anymore to get our eggs and bacon and stuff. But that was, yeah, that was really good. Um, so a lot of you guys, would that be something you'd be interested in? So I hear a few of you saying, yeah. Um, I remember a couple of these only breakfasts that we'd have, like, guest speakers. Come in and yeah, it was like. And I was no wonder about that. What would you like to see with that too? So yeah. you have breakfast. Yeah, guest speaker it was a great idea. Okay, all right. <coughs> okay, anything else? Anybody else thoughts? Going once, going twice. <laughs> great day. What? Everyone's great. All right. Okay. We well, can circle anyway. back next week. You what? We can circle back next yeah. week. Yeah. We'll Give that just some thought. Okay. I'm mean, just throwing it out there. But I just, I would like to So it would be like a quarterly it. breakfast or something. We could do that. You know, and also maybe now there's going to be summer stuff. Maybe we just do things where, you know, like paddle boarding was, you know, one thing. Or we do some things where we do some events every once in a while, too. Might be something to try. So. Um, a bicycle ride. A bicycle, right? There you go. <laughs> a bicycle, right? Good. That's bicycle. another good one. Yeah. All right. Okay. Give that some thought. Um, all right. So we are on our third servant song. And what I wanted to start out with tonight is to take sort of a look at the, uh, the other, to take a look together at all three servant songs we're at, because next week we will start on the last of the servant songs. Um, and these servant songs do have a sense of maybe progression might be a way of saying it, okay? Um, but they're starting to sort of reveal and uncover who this servant is, okay? What is the role of the servant? Why do you even need a servant? Why does Israel need that, Okay. And we've seen how Israel was really ultimately called to be the servant um, of the Lord and sort of (laughs) failed that mission. Um, And so as you see these servant songs starting to progress through Isaiah, um, you see this uncovering of who is this servant and what is he going to do. Okay. Um, And I want to sort of just take a look at these three. And I want you to sort of, a um, couple things. I want you to, I think what I want to do is I, I'm going to read through, we'll read through 42, then 49 through 50. But I want I wanted you to think about, first of all, what is it we're seeing in each of these servant songs? What, what stands out to you? Just sort of on the surface, okay? What stands out? But then I also want you to see what is it that the next servant song is uncovering or showing that the previous servant song did not. 
or the previous ones did not. So what is new that we're learning? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone good? <laughs> you good, Dale? <laughs> All right. So here we go. So the first thing I want to do, I'm going to just read 42. And as we look at this, I just want you to look, what is, what are we learning here just in 42 about this servant? Okay, so it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my, my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Okay, just throw out to me. What are you seeing? What do we know about the servant from just 42? A humble servant, but with power and authority. Oh, so humble... And what else do you say? Yeah, because he's not coming in kicking ass. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not the way you think, right? Okay, so he's humble. But he's, he's, he's in the humility is the power. Okay. All right. What else do you guys see? Chosen. Chosen. Okay, good. Spirit. So he has a okay. So he has a spirit on him. All right. Promises. Mm-hmm. Promises. Promises. Tell me what you mean by that. Or. Um, So sort of something to, is going to happen. Something. And what are the things you guys see that is going to come? Why is this? What's the servant going to do? He's going to open their eyes. That are blind. Okay. He's going to bring folks out of prison, um, dungeons, um, who sit in darkness. He will stretch out. Um, sorry. Um, take breath to the people. Mm-hmm. He's going to encourage those that are struggling to be persistent. Okay, good. He'll bring forth justice. All right. Justice in order to create righteousness. All right. Bring things back to an equal footing. New covenant. New covenant. Oh, good. All right. Yeah, th- I mean, yeah, you see... um. I mean, there's a lot of tasks for the servant. <laughs> He's got quite a task ahead of him, doesn't he? Uh, still does. Um, good. I like the new covenant. 
And what do you see about the new covenant, Pete? He says, I will give you as a covenant light. to the people. Mm-hmm. All right, good. I'm going to turn things nations. around. What do you think it means So when if he just showed, that he just talked about there? I will give you as a covenant for the people. So when you think of a covenant... Serious business. Yeah. And who is the covenant... So who did God make the covenant with originally? Um, Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, all right. So you have the, which is, so in some ways, you have the ultimate, you have the, the first covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant. David. Moses. The, yeah, the Mosaic covenant. So you have God makes his covenant with this nation Israel. David. So there you think, yeah, good. So you think of the covenant there, but listen to what the servant's going to do. I will give you, so this is, so this is, think of it like this is God the Father talking about his son, okay, which we ultimately know is Jesus, that I have, I, I am the Lord, I've called you to this righteousness, I will give you, meaning Jesus, as a covenant for the people. Who's so Jesus becomes it's sort of interesting. Jesus becomes the covenant, <laughs> right? The sacrificial lamb. Yeah, and he's now a covenant for who? For all nations. Yeah, for very good. Okay, so sort of like he's a covenant now for the people, which could transcend not just Israel, but also you see, he's going to be this light to the nations. Yeah. All right. So it goes on to what Pete just said. You know, the covenant was, and we've talked about this, we've been having this little Israel discussion about, you know, uh, replacement theology and stuff, but you see the covenant was given to Israel first, and then Jesus is going to, the servant's going to expand that covenant. As he just said, we are under, you've got the old covenant, put it that way, and then we now have the, and who's under the old covenant? The Jews. The Jews, Israel. And who's in under the new covenant? Gentile church, the believers. Yeah, okay. All right. And what is those people who are under that covenant supposed to be? Servants. Light. light to the world. Yeah, servant. Servant, oh. exactly. And a light to the world. Okay, great. Yeah. So you see that task. What's the task of us? Is to be, we talked about last week a little bit, you know, the light of the world. Light to the nations. Okay. All right, good. All right. So, so now, on the, uh, yeah, uh-huh. on the new covenant thing, mm-hmm. I wanted to read, you know, from the Lord's Supper. Oh yeah. Good. So he says, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you." So, you know, he's <laughs> saying his blood is yeah. the covenant, which is him, right? So he right. is the covenant. I just kind of wanted to point. Like, yeah, that's no, that's really good. Through. Yeah, very good. Supreme sacrifice. Yeah, think about that. That's what you're supposed to be thinking about when you take when you take communion. There's something amazing. I mean, it it tells us in First Corinthians when you take communion, you're participating. I think of um, uh, Back to the Future movie. All right, because you are transcending time when you take communion. When you take the communion, it says in 1 Corinthians, you, in taking communion, you are looking back, okay, to what God was doing back then, 
So you're both looking back at what God has done. All right. So today you're looking back as to what God has done as the hope for what he will do in the future. In the future. So you are like literally participating in God's the whole history of God each time you take that bread and that cup. It's just um, what an amazing privilege. We can so easily take for granted, you know, a little way for a little. Okay, um, yeah. So that was good, Pete. Thanks. All right. So you got that. Now I want you to listen as I read the next one. Okay. Having to make you think tonight. <laughs> what is it you're hearing in this next one in 49 that you are hearing more than what you just heard in 42? All right. Got me? Does that make sense? All right. So listen. Listen. 49. Listen. <laughs> listen to me, O Coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my people may reach to the end of the earth. What are we finding out here that we didn't see or find out more that we saw in the first one? Think of our discussion last week too. It's more a description of his mission. Okay, so further description of his mission. Good. He's talking to all people, by everyone, all nations. Yeah, so again, you, again, you see that it's like it's for everyone. You see that at the very end. <laughs> it's like, and you know, Jesus says. I don't think we looked at this last week. You know, Jesus says at one point, I forget who he's talking to. Maybe it's I don't know, Samaritan woman. He's talked to someone. He says. Um, I have come, I have not come ultimately for the, yeah, I think maybe it was Samaritan, I forget who it was. I'm not it, coming was for a, the, it was a woman who, yeah, the woman, um, it was a, a Gentile woman who was yeah. asking him to heal her son. Right. And then, and then she, she said, um, basically, he said to her, should the dogs eat the children's food, right? And, but he was drawing her out, and then she said, even the dogs can eat the food that falls from the table. Yeah. 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 And then and then he says, you have great faith. You know. Very good. Your, your son is healed. And then Jesus, I'm not come. For, I mean, I've come for the house of Israel first, he says. Mm, right. So it's interesting. It's basically the fulfillment almost of, of what we just read here. My first mission is to bring Israel back to God. Mm. But it goes <laughs> further than that. 
my mission is also to bring, as we see here, is going to be to bring the, the whole world, the, all the nations to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you see in here that... I think the whole nations thing is cool because it just like links to Genesis 12, like I will bless all nations through you. Uh-huh. So it's like part of that covenant, and then also like it relates to just like the Great Commission. Like, right. And spread my word to Go all out to all nations. Yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah. May I see anything else? What is um? What did we talk about last week? Is the what is the uh, yeah, I don't want to say that. <laughs> what's um? What's the means by which Jesus, the servant, is going to do this? What's the mean, what 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 is he going to use to bring this about? Is he going to use military force? Is he going to use what is he going to use that we learned last week? What's the say he's going to use in here to accomplish his mission? What's what's the weapon? It's a sharp sword. He uses his mouth. His mouth. Very good. His word. His word. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So and the weapon turns everything upside down. I yeah. Mean, the the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, the poor shall be blessed. All yeah. the sermon on the mount. Right. Big time. I mean, yeah. totally opposite of everything else going on. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now we're on fifty. <laughs> so I'm going to read fifty to you. I'm not going to read the verse 10, because uh, we'll talk about that later, but I'm going to read just 4 through 9, and I want you to try to hear what is it now in 50 that we're learning about the servant that we have not learned before. We're going to learn something different about him, okay? Um, And more about other things he said, but what is it that we learn different? That's what I want you to think about. So the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear those who were taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I will not. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So what are you hearing about this servant and his role and task? Um, just about this thing he's going to be doing. That's, what, what's new here? Well, interesting at the very beginning that uh-huh. he's saying uh, he's given tongue. Yeah. But it's not to, like, accuse, it's more to sustain those who are weary. And Excellent. And also given ear, and it's not, again, to, like, accuse, but it's to be able to, again, sustain support to hear as those who are taught. So yeah. it's like the encourager, you know, like almost like the comforter when we talk about the Holy Spirit, but here it's Christ 
being given this year and this time to help encourage whoever the audience is. It's an anointing through and using wisdom as power. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah, that's good, Ruben, because what he was what you're seeing there now in in four is you're seeing more remember how we saw last week about the words through his mouth, but we're now seeing that what those words are being going to be used for is not just for judgment or anything like that. It's all it's used for as you just said. It's used for comfort. It's used for sustaining. It's it's used to teach people. It's it's yeah, you see the wisdom of that, of the word. What else do you guys see? What else are we seeing about this? What else do you see? What not? Suffering, mm-hmm. suffering, I mean, the the, dis, the disgrace, but it's, it's uh, saying ultimately it's not uh, disgrace or his vindication, mm-hmm. but, the, but the suffering. So you guys see that that's the new that's the new thing that's being revealed in fifty, and we're going to see this really amplified mm-hmm. in our next servant song, our last one, which is this is a servant who what. suffers. This is the suffering servant now sort of coming out. It's like, oh boy, okay, so here's this, here's a servant, he's going to bring all these things about that God kept saying was going to happen that hasn't happened. Oh, wow, the servant's not going to use military force, he's going to use his word. But, oh my, why is a servant going to have to suffer? You know, doesn't make sense. (laughs) All right, and we're going to see that's something that doesn't make sense to Israel. It's like, what, what, what does this mean? Um, why would why would the servant have to suffer? Uh, what's the purpose of that? All right, which is really going to get to the whole reason why we're going to get into the atonement, which is to answer that question. Well, it brings why? you closer to God yeah. when you do it. Uh-huh, okay. I think, for me, verse 6 is... It's like he's showing us how to, he's modeling for us how to be a model of peace and integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's like a really cool foreshadowing of what goes down in the Garden of Gethsemane. 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 Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh-huh. Um, where Peter wants to, you know, oh, you want to get it on, he pulls the sword out, you know, put some jujitsu on him or whatever, right? But Jesus saying, no, no. Right. Yeah, good. I give my back to those who strike. What, what does that mean? Good question. What are you looking at? Six. Six. To me, it's like he's saying, yeah. don't escalate. Be a model of peace. Reminds me yeah. of, the, of the lashes. Right. Right. Exactly. Back. That's exactly, in fact, that's exactly yeah. what you're doing with that, right? I mean, what what could have, we all know, what could have Jesus done at any point? Okay. Yeah, yes. I mean, he says it at the garden, garden right? When he gets yeah. arrested, snapped his fingers and bow. Right. He had yeah. legions of angels. And yet he's going to get. He just has. He's going to get struck in the back. Yeah. If you guys, um, so turn to. Um, let's see. I have.
Um, so turn to Mark 10. So going along with what Steve's asking there. Just this whole passage. So Mark 10. And then 32 through 34. Who wants to read that? Mark 10, 32 through 34. Now they were on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking along ahead. And as the disciples were following, they were filled with terror and dread. Taking them aside, Jesus once more began describing all that was going to happen to him when they arrived in Jerusalem. When I, we get there, he told them, I, the Messiah, will be arrested and taken before the chief of the priests and the Jewish leaders who will sentence me to die and hand me over to the Romans to be killed. And what does, so let's see, someone reads, do you, let's see, 34? Someone read 34. And what? They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And then in 34, they will mock him, 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 spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. There you go. That says it all right there. (laughs) You see the fulfillment right here, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So there you see Jesus. That fulfillment starting to happen of what we're reading here in this third service song. What do you suppose their reaction of the disciples was when they predicted this before they even went there? Good question, John. So think about, so, so give that some thought. What do the disciples think? Because it goes on, actually, you notice um, in verse 7. It says, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. When does God say I have set my face to something? When he's determined to do it. Yeah, and when and he does that at the time he comes into Jerusalem, his last week, before he's going to be arrested. You know, Palm Sunday, right? What happens on Palm Sunday? He's coming in from... Um, Mount of Olives, I've been up there. You know, they're coming down. You just picture Jesus. He's coming down on a donkey, right? Running in like a king. Exactly. And everyone's, you know, the palms, and everyone's saying, yeah, yeah, he's going to come in to the city, and you can see from up there. You look out over all of Jerusalem. Okay, and he's going to come into the city, and he's going to bring salvation to the people. And that salvation looks He's like... get rid of the Romans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Quite, quite political, actually. Very, very much so. You're going to wipe out the enemy, which is Rome, and they're going to have... Jerusalem's going to be restored. Right. So he comes in. This is what... So the disciples are following him. And now you just imagine, if you were a disciple, this is the one who has now said, I am the king. In essence, he's, he, they know he's... They don't fully understand, but it's like, this is one who's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to bring the salvation. And so, all of a sudden, you see this scene. So what does that tell you? What does that tell the disciples about who Jesus is? Because he's going through the suffering, what 
do the, what, how are people looking at Jesus, who's going through all this flogging and all this stuff, and disciples, who did what? What did the disciples do? Follow Jesus. But they don't follow Jesus. They ran away. They ran away. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want any of this, right? No, I'm getting out of here. I don't want any part of this. Remember the Maus Road crazy. story? Remember how sad that is? They do on the, the Maus Road story, and what's it happening at the end of Luke? Is they're going out, and they say to Jesus, I mean, they say, well, they don't know it's Jesus, right? And I love one of my favorite stories in the whole scripture. Um, and, and it says, um, oh yeah, so they start having a conversation. Jesus has a conversation with these two people. Um, they don't know Jesus. And he asks, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know what in the heck has been going on around here? <laughs> Have you not, like, you know, looked at your iPhone? <laughs> looked at the news? I mean, come on, how could you have not known what has happened? And Jesus says, what things? Like, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. Obviously, he knows what they're talking about. And then listen to what it said. It says, concerning this Jesus of Nazareth, this is them answering Jesus, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and the word, and mighty indeed, and word. See the word we're talking about right now before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope. This is probably the most, maybe almost one of the most depressing statements in all of Scripture. But we had hoped. They lost hope completely. It's had hoped. Past tense. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since this has happened. It's like, so what do the disciples think? What do these guys think? And why do they think then that he is not the fulfillment? Why do they think he's not the Messiah? Because he obviously died on the cross, but also because we just asked. Yeah. He went through all this what? Suffering. Right. So the disciples were looking for a, a political king, right. one that will rule on earth and change everything. The kingdom that Jesus was talking about was not of this world. He yeah. said that in his own defense. His and, of this right, world. and the political kingdom would not be a king that's going to suffer at the hands of the Romans. Yeah. They didn't understand that. Yeah. Tom, you're going to... Yeah. And it's funny because it was interesting that as you read on, even James and John, the sons of Zebedee, wanted to be you know, he wanted to be with them, yeah. him, and he's they're saying no. You will build this cup. We, you can't. There's no way because it's right. been prepared for me. Right at the end, and then eventually it just comes out that even the Son of Man did not come to serve, serve and give the rest of his uh, life. Doesn't say a whole lot about the confidence in their leadership. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's just saying you indeed can't drink this cup. That um, this is my degree. Yeah, and it's been prepared for him as it ties back to him. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why do you think they didn't recognize him? Why do you think what? They didn't recognize him. Well, f 
I mean, I don't know the answer to that, obviously. But I think, first of all, he has his resurrected body. All right? So somehow there's something going on with his body that makes him a little easier to not be recognized. I don't, we don't know exactly understand what that is. Um, but somehow he hid. Maybe he had a hoodie on. Or something, you know? He hid himself. Because he did not want to show, as you read this, this Emmaus Road story, Jesus is doing something here. I mean, I wish I was those two that was both <laughs> stupid to say, well, who is this? Because what does Jesus do after this? He breaks bread with them. Their eyes are opened through the breaking of bread like we just talked about. But then he explains to them through all of Scripture yeah, right. about why all Scripture pointed to him. Yes. <laughs> I would give anything. <laughs> I'm serious. That would be the most amazing discussion. Bible study. Yeah. <laughs> to hear Jesus say, this is how. We're just seeing little pieces here, right, with Isaiah. So, he had a purpose, which was to ultimately uncover and show them, you thought that I was the Messiah. I went through all that suffering. I was crucified. Now I'm going to show you that that, in essence, that's what we're getting to. That's ultimately showing you that I really am the Lord. I am the Savior. But I had to go through this. And no one understood that. Yeah. Maybe they understood that after you explained all the scriptures to them. <laughs> you know. I had a question. It's like now now we have the Bible to study, to memorize, to be able to reference. Right. In in that time that takes place in Mark, um, it seems like Jesus is being able to pull from... Um, from the scripture, absolutely from the scroll. But what do those disciples have to reference? Did they also have to? What was their? How do they access these books, like scrolls, Isaiah, yeah. or other books? Great question. So, first of all, during the time of Jesus, the entire Old Testament was written out, and it was available on scrolls. Okay, so multiple scrolls. In fact, pretty much. A lot of the books are written to fit on the scroll. All right. And so you see in Luke, when um, when Jesus goes into the temple, in Luke 4, he opens up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he reads from Isaiah to say, this is who I am. This is my mission. So the Jews at this time had those scrolls to reference. They had the entire Old Testament that we have today. And it is believed that probably most of the scribes and Pharisees and those who were learned in the law, meaning the entire Old Testament, really, mm. probably had most of it memorized. Mm. So um, Paul's probably one of them. So we today, we do like this. I go, okay, everybody, turn to Mark 10, 45. Mm. Which, well, I'll say turn to Mark 14, um, 1465, okay? And then I say, all right, um, you have heard this blasphemy. Okay, this is when um, Jesus is talking. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him. All right, so there's the spitting that we have. And so I would say that to you as a disciple or, or a Pharisee or something and say about spitting and you would know the scripture so well, you could go back 
and say, I remember that. Oh yeah, that was in Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, I hid my face from disgrace and spitting. That's how well they knew the scriptures. They knew the, okay, so they knew the scriptures so well, <laughs> but they also didn't see. <laughs> For picking up the They the obvious. They, well, but it wasn't obvious in a way. No. I mean, they, they, yeah, okay, I mean, that's what we've been seeing. It's like, who is this? We don't know who this is. So, yeah. Picking up on that, the enemy really wasn't the Roman government. The enemy was the Pharisees and Sadducees. The lead, the and if they're right. the learned ones, yeah. they would be the ones that thought, oh, geez, we need to do something about that. And it would really send a lot of fear into them because they've got to stop that. Otherwise, their whole position is going to be wiped out. Yeah. Which gets back to your question, too, The the which we all have to be careful about this today, right? The very ones who knew the word the most were the ones who also got it wrong. Right. They're the ones who also used that word and brought judgment and put yeah, other things the on top of the people. Yeah. I mean, it's very convicting. Oh, good. And we don't have to memorize. That's the best part, right. Dale. That's the best right. part. Right. I went to a men's uh-huh. weekend meeting at Arrowhead decades ago, and the speaker, I forgot his name, but he was president of Multnomah. Oh, okay. And he stood up, said, before I give my speech, he says, let's play a game. Hmm. There were about 300 men in the audience. Mm -hmm. He said, one of you stand and start a verse, and I'll finish it. Then I'll start a verse. And anyone in the audience can finish it. Wow. It really wasn't a fair game. (laughs) Really? He had the whole Bible memorized. Wow. I've never known anybody that's like that. But he could just, every book in the Bible, he could just start at verse 3 and quote to 10 or... Was he a minister, or just he was the president of he was the president. Bible, Bible College, yeah, Bible College in Oregon. Wow, yeah. wow, what a scholar! Yeah, and you know he we think we think today like that's impossible, but yeah, but Eric works did. at memorizing stuff and has a lot of stuff memorized. <laughs> I have a great memory; it's just getting short. <laughs> well, the Puritans, pretty much, if you're a Puritan minister, you had all you had to memorize the entire Book of Psalms. So pretty much back then, they they knew all of Psalms. I knew someone who knew all of um, the Sermon on the Mount, which isn't that much. I tried to remember the Sermon on the Mount. I got halfway through and <laughs> just gave up. <laughs> um, yeah, that's quite quite convicting. Yeah, to be able to know that. Um, so did that answer your question? It did. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> it's pretty cool how in the beginning of fifty or four it says it says that that God had given tongue. Of those who are taught. So, yeah. to Jesus, and she's able to speak with this authority. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like the disciples, they don't really connect the dots of like where in Mark we went over and said, this is what's going to happen. Because I think if they had known that, they would have been more prepared. Yeah, yeah. Was okay. there some type of, um, there was a purpose to keep his identity hidden too, right? 
there was a, there was for much of his much of his ministry because he would say don't go about, don't go don't go tell people parables and yeah well because they want he don't want to be crucified too soon yes <laughs> or rusted too soon um, where was oh yeah so um, so going to what you were just saying there about that passage. <clears throat> I think you guys have ever thought about this, but we sort of automatically think like Jesus just knew everything. <laughs> like, just, you know, he's God. So everybody, he didn't have to go through the things we have to go through in learning. But you sort of get this in this passage here. You, you listen to that. It goes, you know, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is worried. Morning by morning he awakes, he awakens my ear and to hear those who were taught. The Lord has opened my ear. Okay. Um, so you get this idea of Jesus himself sort of learning from the Father. And this is a passage which it's a little, I don't know if you guys remember in Hebrews what it says about what Jesus um so if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 5. Because when we think of disciples, we think, oh, well, you know, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't have to do any of the stuff we have to do today. Um, so Hebrews 5. Mm-hmm. Um, 5, 7 through 10. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 5. Yeah, okay. So listen, it says in Hebrews 5, so it sort of goes along with what you're talking about, Reuben and Leviticus. In the days of his flesh, so obviously when Jesus was alive here on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. So right there you see, just like we are to do, because we are the servants of the servant now, we started talking about last week, Jesus did this too, right? We're called to pray. And, okay, it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. I thought about that. Just the passion in which Jesus prayed. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Okay. Hmm. So here's Jesus himself. He learned from the Father and he was obedient. Even through that suffering. And then it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. (laughs) And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus... It doesn't say here about Jesus sinned, all right? He did not sin, but he learned obedience through suffering. Mm-hmm. We're called to be like Jesus. <laughs> this might not be the task we want. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad, right? But we're I've called also to learn through suffering. Was. Huh? I've forgotten who Melchizedek was. Was he, he was way back in the Old Testament, uh-huh. and when we were going through Hebrews, it's, it's a very mysterious sort of figure. This oh, that's about mysterious. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. just so little said, and yet, what is this? <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of people, you know, like, we know 
There, we know some, but very little. Oh, really? It's not yeah. a whole lot. Of time. Yeah. All we, um, Thank you. What's well, the normal process that somebody had to go through to be qualified to be a Pharisee and Sadducee? It was a, a long educational right. process, wasn't right. it? Yeah. And yet, there's no evidence that he did it, didn't do any of that. He was just... Well, there's no evidence of that. However, okay, and again, I don't, I can't say this. However, it's very possible Jesus had to, as a person, what did he do? He started out as 12 years old, and he goes to the temple. And what is he doing? He's just there, listening to the word of God. He's soaking it all up. And then what's the next scene? He's like 30 years old. Yeah, and at the end of that, so that's Luke chapter 2, uh-huh. and at, at the end of Luke chapter 2, it says, Jesus Jesus grew in wisdom and stature yeah. and in favor with God and man. Okay. Or increased in wisdom it's and stature. It's just such a subtle thing that can be glossed over. It is. And so we forget that we think, oh, well, we can't be like Jesus because he's God and he didn't have to go through all this. No. Alone. <laughs> right. He did go through all this. Yeah. We're called to be his disciples Christ is ahead of us. He's already gone through all that. Wisdom so, has a price. Times ten. I mean, yeah, time, well, times ten at least. God and man, it's his humanity that's going through right. this education. Exactly. But his humanity is so he can become the perfect I want to say, human by learning through that and that obedience and even through that suffering, ultimately then he can take upon the suffering of the whole world through that. Yes. Yeah. The interesting part about what you're talking about in, in Hebrews, um, I just look under the study notes, this is the wild part. I, I didn't think about this. He said that Jesus experienced all what a person goes through on this earth. He knows how difficult it is to obey God. I'm like, <laughs> Does that blow your mind? <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, completely. Uh, just as he understands the attraction of temptation, yet persistent obedience leading us to his life. Yeah, first job. Yeah. Yeah, this, is, this also reminds me of um, Philippians 2 uh, 2 6. Who, being in, in the very nature of God, did not consider it. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Mm. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, mm-hmm. mm. being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Yeah. Servant. Yeah. And what's interesting about that passage is... Right before what he just read is Paul says we are to be like Christ in being that yeah. humble servant. In essence, giving our life for others. It says, I mean, you have it right there. Mm-hmm. Re- read um, starting at verse 2. Because okay. this says, it, what's interesting here is Paul says how we are to be and live. And why? Because what Pete just read. So how are we to be because the servant did this? We are to be servants of the servant by what, Pete? <laughs> uh, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, hmm. which Who? is proceeds yeah. to mm-hmm. So it's the, so hard to do. The point yeah. that I get but is, yeah. is that when you stand firm on Christian principles, then there's power and humility. Yeah. Because you have that bedrock. Whereas society looks at humility as weakness. Yeah. But in yeah. fact, standing on those principles and knowing those principles and standing firm on those principles empowers humility. Yeah. That's the, the yeah. wonderful gift that it is. Goes back when I asked the very for you were the first one to answer when I asked in forty two, what is the servant? Mm-hmm. You said humility. Yeah. 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 And so because when you stand on those principles Nothing can knock you off balance yeah. because you stand, that's your rock. Yeah. yeah. And it's how do we get those principles? <laughs> well, it's also giving, yeah, I mean, it's giving, this is giving our lives up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we learned this pastor in Ukraine right now. What is he doing? He's living this out in reality. He's giving his life up. For the sake of others, yeah. I mean you. I mean, in, in the reality, giving his life. But it's up. only the worldly life. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. But look at, <laughs> yeah. Look at Zelensky, though. Yeah. You know, here's a comedian. Right. That was now was emul- emulating the president and his comedian act. Then he gets elected president, and now God has used him to be a shining beacon in a in a dark world making all the other political leaders look silly and foolish for the way they're doing the conducting stuff. And he's saying, hey, this is our country. We need to be, we want to defend our country. We're not going to be pushed around. And if it costs us something, so be it. And you know what? What other leader in the whole world has ever stood their ground like that? And he is truly a beacon in the dark world that we live in. And who are you talking about? Yeah. Zelensky, the Lose president. Oh, yeah. The president. I mean, what is he doing? He's not, as many leaders will do, which is so tempting. Empty I, his bank account. And well, empty his bank account <laughs> and leave the country. Yeah. yeah. Right? Right. He's sitting there right in the midst of that uh-huh. with his people, with his army, saying, I'm putting my life down for this country. Yes. I mean, that. Just like this guy you talk to yeah. today. Exactly. Sir. Yeah. Same I mean, the, converting because, the church to a hospital yeah. is his goal. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. See, that's an example of standing on principles. Church should be a hospital. And that's the rock. And if Literally, it costs you your life, it costs you your life. But it's not worth, it, worth to live if if you compromise those principles. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Yeah. No greater it's a farce. It's a, it all to give a farce. or love is you know, than to give your own life for someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things, I mean, the stuff we're talking about here, I don't, do you have some stuff to share about last night? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, so, <laughs> just, oh, I, no. I say that because, <laughs> it's okay. I was hoping you were going to say yes to that. <laughs> just so well, you know. 
I say that because, you know, I mean, one of the things that I, I'm super, like, just really excited about having Chad and other people helping, like Pete and Jason, and I mean, with our youth, is that they're bringing to our youth the stuff we're reading here, mm-hmm. which is for them to take ownership of what does the Word of God say. And um, Chad was sharing with me that the youth, I didn't hear about last night, so it'll be my first time hearing about it. But so he, as he was preparing for it, he went to go through Romans 10, all right, where it talks about, you know, the word of God. And just saying about how a lot of the youth, um, you know, they hear through the news and through their friends and social media and all this stuff, just all the stuff about what is a Christian. And have all these very distorted views of what is a Christian. And what our, what Chad's trying to do in leading our youth is to say, let's go and find out what does this word really say <laughs> about who Christ is, about what it means to really be a Christian. Um, and so they were going through that passage in Romans 10 last night. Um, so sure, I would love to just, I haven't heard anything about it, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so there's been like a lot of, like Greg said, just good conversation in the youth group. Of, there's definitely a solid group of maybe 10, 12 kids who all the leaders know very well who are um, following Jesus and just really solid. But a lot of them have, like, in sharing the gospel with other people or talking with other kids, just gotten like these crazy responses of like, oh, well, like you guys believe this and this and this, and it's just like these crazy non-biblical things. And um, so, I eventually felt a need, as well as like I think the kids did and other leaders did, just to have like a study on Romans 10, just to clearly say, like, hey, this is what the gospel says, and like this is what salvation is about, um, and something like that concise. Um, so that's why we did the study, and like we did verses 5 through 13. Which yeah, go ahead and read those. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, this goes right along with what we're talking about, the word here. <laughs> you know? So what verse are you on, Chad? Romans 10, verse 15. Uh, verse 5. Oh, okay. Uh, 5 through 13. So, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him shall, will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, we were able to really just go through and break those verses down. A lot thanks to Greg, because Greg pretty much set up the whole thing for me, or told me a lot of what, uh, uh, like a lot of background, um, which was super helpful. Um, and something like we were really focused on was just this idea of confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
Um, and the idea that believe it means an allegiance to God, not just I believe we're in Laguna Beach or I believe the earth is round. They're just these simple things. Um, and I think that really had an effect on the kids, especially like they want to get down to the context of things and what things actually mean. Um, so I, I felt that that was super beneficial um, just as a tool. And then there's also, uh, I know a few people there who haven't, I think, accurately heard the gospel. There's one girl who's like her second time. So mm. her first time at youth was when Pete was talking about apologetics, and this was her second time. Mm. Um, and it was really cool. She came up to myself and Darby and was talking for a while at the end. And, like, it is very evident how people today just, like, don't have a biblical understanding of what the gospel is mm-hmm. at all and are, like, so confused. And, like, I think it's cool that this church and, like, specifically the youth want to, like, take on that challenge just to show, okay, here's, like, what the Bible actually says. Um, and, like, just, just, like, as an example of, like, how far, like, off the understanding was, she was like, oh, so, like, you're, like, a priest and can't be married if you teach at the church? Like, are, are you someone who can't be married? And I'm like, no. And then she's like, the Bible says, like, pastors can't get married and stuff, right? And so, like, it is funny, but, like, these are the <laughs> ideas that people have because yeah. they've had zero exposure to the Bible. And I think it's refreshing, too, for, like, some of the other things like the kids shared just in um, like small group discussions was, was just the idea of like following the person of Jesus and wanting to follow after that, being loving to others. Um, and just this idea of selflessness is like something that's definitely not thought of, like I think at all by the youth mm-hmm. uh, with Christianity. So like my hope, and I think it's happening is like in the group of kids that consistently are here, um, they are going to the high school and wherever else they are and showing that. Um, and I, I really think they are because that's what's bringing other kids here who really don't care about church or don't want to be here. A lot of times come like, oh, this is dumb. Like, what is this? But those are the kids who like end up asking them those questions and end up being like, really the most honest in conversations. Mm-hmm. In, and impacted by the tremendous work you guys are doing. That's huge. When you were talking earlier tonight, asking the guys, you know, what should we try to go after more as a men's group, I think you guys should be standing up in front of the whole church and, and testifying like you just did. And I think that's just and taking, not being prideful about it, but trying to, you know, be have a contagion going out there. Yeah. That's terrific work you guys are doing. And empowering the parents just to hear some of that stuff, man, I was, I just had a body buzz. Thinking about how the parents, they need to know how to talk to the kids, how to battle back against all this crap that Satan's laying down. Yeah. That's I mean, one one cool. of the things we find out in our youth group, which is the irony, maybe of Laguna Beach a little bit, is that the kids come to like the youth and they go back to their parents and actually minister to their parents. Yes. Yes. Their parents all right. The That's cool. Yeah, I mean, the, it's just, yeah. The majority of the kids. Parents don't go to church. Yeah. So there is like a, sm- a small group whose parents do, but there's more whose parents don't go to church at all than that do. And then, um, that was one more thing I want to say. I'm not remembering. It'll come to me. Maybe. Um, yeah, no, it was just like, it's super encouraging because rather than trying to, like, I don't know, say some message that's, or say something that's just really going to hook people or like, I don't know, sell something. Like, there's really none of that. 
rather than just like, hey, we're just going to read scripture, and I'm not going to say my opinion of like things. Or just, I'm just going to point you towards scripture, and that's like a very solidified thing with all the leaders. Um, and of course, like there's clarification and things that maybe kids don't understand that like we could help clear up. But like we've really worked hard, and it's helped like with kind of the style of teaching that Greg has taught myself and other leaders. Yeah, no, don't go in there and just say, like, hey, here's what I think, and you should do this, and you need to do this and this, rather than just, hey, here's what Scripture says, and just pointing back to that. And then on top of that, being there just to be someone who's loving. Because yeah. when they see us acting like... just let it affect their heart. Yeah. Right. Know, yeah. By reading right. the Word of God. Yeah. It, it, without it, laying out a bunch of trips on them. Well, you get this. Then you're getting all legalistic and, right. you know, say, hey, well... You're gonna be a good Christian. You better come to church, and every buck you make, I want ten cents of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it truly all works. The rest of the rules that could really—that's not the point. The point is to affect their spirit, yeah. and how God's spirit comes through you, and then it goes out to others. You know, where you forget yourself. Right. Hard to do. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, it's a great example of like forcing stuff on people doesn't work, and also like <laughs> trying to for, more importantly trying to force something on them like doesn't feel like we're getting in the way of the Holy Spirit, really. It's just right. it's letting them hear. Right. And it's neat. I mean, the, I mean, Chad, when we first started talking a couple days ago about this lesson, he was saying how the kids, the youth, you know, they want to be able to basically learn apologetics. They want to be able to know how to talk about their faith, yeah. how to defend their faith, how to talk about it to others, you know. I mean, I hear that and I go, Bob, there's hope in the world. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think, yeah, just... Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Chad. Thanks. Yeah, Thank thanks for sharing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm an old guy, <laughs> and I've lived most of my life understanding that. But then I've been doing a lot of reading lately, and I ask myself the question: How do I know if I'm doing it right? <laughs> How do I know? How do I? What, what is the proof? What is what makes me different, and what's steering? What's the rudder on my boat as a Christian? Mm-hmm. And so, what I've come to realize is is that I have to ask myself the question: Who am I? And so, if I say I'm a Christian, well, who is that person as a Christian? Mm-hmm. And the next question is. What do I really believe in? And what will I accept in my own personal behavior? And what will I not accept in my own personal behavior? And so, when I went deeper, I found that unless you have understand and can wrap your arms around the principles of ethics, and virtue, those stand as the doorway to true spirituality. Because when you understand what ethics are, it helps you decide who you are and get a better idea about what I believe and what I won't accept in behavior of other people Mm. and when it's time to leave and when I'm making new acquaintances. There's some people that I don't want to associate with. 
because they don't meet the standards and the principles that I live by. Doesn't mean I don't can't have grace for them. But I really believe that until, and it came out in uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, because he recommends that everybody writes a mission statement. And the mission statement is literally writing down what you believe and what the principles are that you stand on. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't have time to do that and to think that through. And so those things, once we write them down, then become kind of a litmus paper that we can refer back to. Am I, am I seeking to understand before I'm seeking to be understood? Mm -hmm. Am I giving that grace to others? And it's, is it, am I a good listener? Or is it more important for me to have my opinion over, run over everybody else's opinion? Those, those are attributes of principles and humility. And so I think it's not until we actually sit down and ask ourselves a question about what kind of a life am I living that, and what kind of example are those people around me seeing as a result of the choices that I make in living my life. And I think that might be something to consider and have the kids, you know, think about, well, who are you? What do you believe? And, and what do you know for sure? And what are things that you will not compromise on? And, and until you make those decisions early in your life, you're liable to make compromises because of the social pressure that's going on in the world today. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to learn that. <laughs> And it's not easy right. to answer that question. Right. All right. Well, it's good. If that, I want to. I want to end. No, that's good. <laughs> I'm going to end. Basically, just follow up from what you just said. Mm. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about when you say those ethics and those virtues and that. I mean, that's exactly what Paul talks about in Galatians. See, that's let me you just know. Finish. Uh -huh. That's. That's truly the doorway of true spirituality because if you don't lie, then there's nothing that somebody can find out that's going to destroy your reputation or undermine you. And, and so what does that mean? It strengthens you because there's nothing, there's no real two. There's only real one, and the real one is the one that you live and that you stand on and that you believe in. Then you have no liability in the world. And if you have no liability... Then you can stand strong on those principles, and those principles that you're standing on become your rock. Yeah. And it just makes life so much more simple. <laughs> rather than, you know, if I don't wear a surfer t-shirt, you know, to my group, I'm going to be ostracized. You know, all those kinds of pressures that kids go through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you're, so... You take about, just what you're saying reminds me back where we went to Galatians. So in Galatians, the way Paul, I think, answers and says what you're saying is true spirituality is those things which are controlled by the Spirit. Yes. It means the Spirit in you is the one that enlightens you and gives you the power to live those ethics. But you've got to know what they are. Well, you do. And so, yeah, exactly. Okay. To have... Those ethics, you have to have the spirit inside of you, as Paul says. Yes. To have that spirit. That gives you the desire to right. get it. And the power to do it. And to be able to do that and have that spirit, 
you go back to what Chad said, and we'll close with this. You go back to what Chad said that he just read to the kids. You go back to what is the, what's the gospel? The gospel is that you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, pistis, you give allegiance to the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins as your Savior. Paul says when you do that, that spirit comes inside of you that empowers you to now live ethically. Yes. And then Paul says, this is what it looks like. And I'll just add with a simple close. Well, can it I says, say one thing? Yeah. Um, I try to memorize things that help me. Right. Your reputation is a valuable asset. Guard it zealously. Do not succumb to any act that has the possibility to destroy in an instant the respectability you have earned over a lifetime. That says it all. Yeah. That says it all. And I'm going, okay, so I'm going to end. Okay, sorry. With, so no, it's fine. So I'm going to end with saying yes, and if you're going to live that way and really be able to do that, you have to have that spirit of God inside of you. Yeah. Yes. And when you have that spirit of God inside of you, Paul says mm-hmm. in Galatians, he says, I say walk with the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Correct. When that spirit is inside of you, and here's another one. This is time about memorizing, right? What do those ethics look like? It goes back to sort of what Pete said when he was in Philippians, okay? And this is what I'll just end with this. But the fruit of the spirit, so this is the ethics. The fruit of the spirit is love. Mm-hmm. And all these, just think about all these are relational. All these are about how I treat yes. another person. Okay? Except the last one, but I think it is too. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such standards. things, yeah, okay. against such things there is no law. And I love how he ends with that. And those, going back to what we're talking about tonight, and, and what you talked about, Jared, with the kids. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's how I hope, I mean, that's how all of us, that's the way we live, is to that power of that spirit. And when we do, and we want to know, you want to say, I want to measure myself, how well am I doing? There's your measurement. And what is required of you? To love justice and walk humbly with your Lord. Yeah, exactly. Mercy, to to love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with With your Lord. Yeah. Well, Father, I just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the servant songs that just slowly uncover who you are. And I just thank you, Lord, for Chad and for the dedication of our volunteers and just for our youth, Lord, that they are the next generation to take your word that's in their heart and to declare and preach that word to this world, that all nations will come and flow to you because they want to know who is this God. And Lord, we again lift up as we close tonight as we began. We just cry out to you, Lord. 
save the people in Ukraine. Protect their lives. Stop this war. Yes, Lord. Only you can do that, Lord. And we call out and cry out to you right now. Stop this war. We ask these things in the name of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, who is our Christ, Jesus, who is our Savior, Jesus, who is our High Priest, sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, hearing these prayers. Answer our prayers, Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.